Hello, and welcome to Curious Objects. I'm Ben Miller. Jade. It's called the Imperial Gem, and in China, it's seen as the pinnacle of luxury and refinement. It's been used for precious crafts since prehistory, and fine specimens have been assigned greater value than silver or even gold. One of the oldest jade-producing regions in the world is the Yangtze River Delta, the region roughly centered around Shanghai and Nanjing. Um, historically, jade mined and carved in this region was often sent to the imperial court, where it graced some of the richest and most powerful rulers the world has ever seen. Today, our curious object is actually twins, two nearly identical, intricately carved jade cups, both originating in this critical region, and they've just been brought together for the first time in recorded history. One belongs to the Beijing Palace Museum, while the other lives 7,000 miles away in the Cleveland Museum of Art. How these twins wound up on opposite sides of the world is just one of the stories we're going to explore today. We'll also talk about the precious material itself and how not all jade is created equal, and about how these cups were long thought to be centuries older than they really are, and about the mystical carved figures decorating them. Both pieces are being shown together right now in a brand new exhibition at the Cleveland Museum called China's Southern Paradise, open from now until January 7th, 2024. The exhibition includes some 200 fascinating objects from paintings to porcelain to couture spanning thousands of years of history and brought together from around the world. And that exhibition's curator, and my guest today, is Clarissa von Spee, curator of Chinese art and chair of Asian art at the Cleveland Museum. Clarissa, thanks for joining me. Hello. Uh, thank you for having me. So before we get started, um, just a reminder that you can see images of the pieces we're talking about today at themagazineantiques.com slash podcast. If you enjoy the show, I'd be really grateful if you leave us a rating and review, which helps more listeners find Curious Objects, and make sure you're subscribed in your podcast app, whether that's Spotify or Apple Podcasts or something else, uh, so you don't miss future episodes. And if you'd like to get in touch with me with comments or suggestions for future episodes, I'd love to hear from you on Instagram at Object of Interest or via email, podcast at gmail.com. And with that said, we're going to try something new today to help introduce us to Clarissa Von Spee with a round of rapid fire questions, uh, game show style. Clarissa, are you ready? Yep. All right, let's do it. There's an asteroid headed for Earth, and you are on the escape pod, of course. What one object or artwork are you bringing with you? I think I would not take an artwork. I would get a pad, a pencil, and a brush to make sure I can create some artwork. And uh, it's not getting boring for me. Uh, the creative approach. Okay. What's the most valuable object or artwork that you've ever touched? Probably um, a work of art in the Cleveland Museum of uh, Art here um, in Ohio, the state of Ohio. Um, uh, it's a rouware dish. Um, from the 12th century, and uh, there are twin versions on the market or have been recently sold, and one was sold at Sotheby's for $37 million a few years ago, um, and uh, ours is just a, a twin version of it. It's a, it's a porcelain, very finely glazed with a bluish-green glaze, um, and yeah, I handled it, and I would assume it uh, would have a similar value on the market. You didn't uh, drop it, did you? 
No, I did <laughs> not. I tried hard not to. <laughs> okay, you're now banned from your current field, and you have to pick a new specialty. What's it going to be? That would be uh, learning or being being um, active in the under underwater world archaeology. That would be my dream. Oh, okay, fascinating. Um, what movie has the most interesting depiction of material culture? Well, you will laugh, but maybe um, for me, it's a Wizard of Oz. Yeah. <laughs> which, is, which is because it's so rare uh, what the material culture they present and you're exposed to as a viewer. But the Tin Man or the basket that, um, you know, uh, where the dog is carried uh, on the bike, these kind of, well, kind of very spare requisites to tell the story, uh, I find quite fascinating. That's fantastic. And of course, the Emerald City. Um, yeah. What's your favorite museum to visit? And you can't choose your own, of course. That would be, I guess, uh, the Villa Borghese in, in Rome. Mm. Okay. And the wonderful, yeah, sculptures there. And the garden, the garden and villa, both. Of course, of course. What one book should an amateur read to start to understand your field? Two fascinating books that give you a big picture. One is Neil McGregor's uh, book, uh, His a History of the World in um, 100 Objects, which is, you know, includes Asian art. Um, and the other is uh, specifically Asian art or Chinese art, and that is uh, Lothar Lederose, 10,000 Things, um, Module and Mass Production in Production in Chinese Art. And uh, it tells a story about how, um, yeah, how objects were produced technically. What was your last international trip? I think this was 2020 before the pandemic to India. Of course, I've been to European, to Germany and uh, the UK in the meantime, but to Asia, that would have been India. Where did you go in India? Oh, Agra and uh, Delhi, the Rajasthan area. It was a wonderful trip. What is the coolest art or decorative arts discovery that you've made? It's a funny story. When I was in uh, in Shanghai and working for my PhD or researching for my PhD, I, I browsed the markets, the street markets, and I found a vase which I thought was Wanli period, so Ming Dynasty, uh, seventeen early seventeenth century. Um, I bought it uh, for you know very cheaply, and um, I wasn't sure. I wanted to make sure it is really what I thought, and I went to the Shanghai Museum and asked um, the head of the porcelain department there, and he confirmed that it was one leap period. So I was sure it was a great, it was a good, good Fantastic. bargain. All right. Shall we talk about China's Southern paradise? Yes. So today's curious objects, as I mentioned, are two very similar jade cups, one from the Beijing Palace Museum, the other belonging to the Cleveland Museum of Art. Uh, Clarissa, what do these pieces look like and how, how, how big are they? Um, you have to imagine maybe you um, it's about the size of your fist, um, two cups um, uh, and round cups with handles and the handles are shaped in uh, in the form of little figures that grasp uh, the rim of the of the cups. So symmetric um, symmetrically arranged. And they both sit on on clouds. So tell me about these figures, um, which are fairly numerous. Uh, what, what are these figures? 
Yeah, one one's uh, you know the the handles are form figures, but at the same time you have on the walls um, uh, in low relief you have um, a several a procession of uh, eleven uh, figures. Um, one is an elderly man who uh, um, carries um, a lingjif fungus, a magic a, a magic uh, fungus, and the other is a woman. A central figure is a woman who uh, carries a plate with peaches. So uh, this gives us a hint that these are immortals um, because um, the queen mother of the, of the West, um, who is an immortal, presents these peaches as a sign of long for longevity, as wishes for longevity. And um, the, uh, the, the lingja fung fungus is also as a motif for um, conveying wishes of uh, for longevity and immortality. Is there additional religious or or secular meaning to these figures? They're they're uh, related to Taoism. Is that right? That's right. And Taoism is also associated with uh, the quest for immortality. Um, so in this case, uh, we have uh, motifs that um, yeah are associated with immortality and may. Um, express wishes for longevity on the on the cup. Now, I've referred to the material simply as jade, but of course, jade comes in different varieties and qualities. What type of jade are these cups made of, and and why does that matter? Um, yeah, there are different types of jade. We talk about um, um, it's a very hard mineral. Uh, we call it nephrite um, that um, comes in different colors. Um, and is most highly valued, um, especially the colors white or um, yellowish white, which that's the color of these cups. What makes jade such a valuable and attractive material in the first place? Well, it's it's a it's a beautiful and it's um, in its you know in, in its different colors. It's very hard to work. Um, uh, so you need a lot of time. It's time uh, consuming um, uh, to to uh, achieve a relief or um, a pattern on um, on this hard material, and you have to you achieve it by grinding the surface. And um, these um, uh, this material comes in the form of boulders or pebbles, and um, and then they have to be you know, in a long, very elaborate process, uh, worked into beautiful vessels or um, other other material, other other objects. So it's very difficult to work with. So it's it's a specialized trade. It requires uh, skill and training. That's correct. And and you cannot uh, you cannot use, for example, steel. It's so hard that you can only work uh, grinded with with quartz and and sand and water, um, which makes it yeah, which makes it a, a very um, elaborate uh, process. Now these cups were once thought to have originated with the Yuan Dynasty, which ruled from twelve seventy one to thirteen sixty eight. But now they're dated instead to the Qing Dynasty centuries later. What what changed? 
Well, scholarship uh, changed these dates. Um, the the Yuan Dynasty is uh, based on scholarship in the 1960s, 70s. Uh, in the meantime, China has opened up. Um, experts can travel. Um, we can uh, exchange our ideas with with our um, colleagues in in China. Uh, also, we can travel back and forth, so material becomes accessible to us. We can compare our works of art with each other um, um, in, in different countries. Um, and all this um, uh, now, um, we believe that, that these uh, jade cups are of a, of a, a, a later date because um, on the base of comparison with other material that has become accessible in the uh, in recent decades. So how would these pieces have likely been used originally when they were made? Were they primarily intended as decorative objects or or also for functional use? That's a good question. Um, probably they were not functional. They were really luxury objects. Um, but having said this, um, we can imagine that they were used um, uh, as gifts, for example. Um, we talked about the motifs that you can see on the cup. Um, they convey wishes for longevity, so they could have made a, a, a birthday gift, for example, with the imperial cup that we have in the exhibition. Um, these were might have been sent as tribute where to the to the court. So the best products of a region were sent as tribute to the imperial court in the 18th century. And we can imagine that this cup, for example, was sent from uh, the workshop uh, straight to Beijing to be approved uh, or to be vetted and then to be viewed by the emperor and then put Possibly, um, it would have, you know, approved by the emperor and then um, entered the imperial collection. What would it actually have done in the imperial collection? Then, I mean, was it in circulation for use by the emperor himself and his his family? Uh, was it placed in a treasury for safekeeping and use as a way of storing wealth? Or what was the function of an object like that? Yeah, the uh, the Tianlong Emperor, um, during which probably this, these cups were, um, during whose reign these cups were produced, um, was an ardent collector and a great connoisseur of uh, all kinds of artistic uh, material. So he was actively involved in collecting works of art. And when something passed his, his approval, um, presented to him and passed his approval uh, and entered the imperial collection, uh, these works of art sent standards um, for the whole for the whole art production in the in the country. So what was happening politically in China around the time that these were likely made? Well, this was just the uh, the situation that there was uh, an emperor who was, uh, actively involved in collecting, in um, commissioning works of art, um, in uh, being in conversation and in uh, contact with with artists, sometimes through um, intermediary agents. Um, but he uh, he commissioned actively 
um, works of art collected. He inscribed them, he praised them, and uh, he would even involve in art historical um, assessment of these these works of art. So we have works of art paintings in particular imprinted with the imperial seal by the by the emperor. Let's talk for a minute about the production process uh, from the mining of the jade in the first place to the production, um, the carving of these beautiful uh, finished works. What were the people like who were actually engaged in that work and, and what were the skills required? Um, yeah, so the jade worker um, would start from a pebble or a boulder of, of jade um, and then would start hollow it out. But we um, must not imagine that he used um, uh, some steel tool or something like this. So it was uh, um, all based on grinding, um, using quartz sand and hollowing, first of all, the boulder out for a cup, for example, um, through grinding. And then um, the material is more and more ground also the, to work out the low relief that we can see on the cups. This this was all ground with quartz sand, um, so a sand that was as hard as the material that was decorated. And um, then the relief also would be sanded down. Um, and finally, to achieve the high polish, um, maybe a, a leather, um, a piece of leather would then um, be used to achieve the, the sheen and the, the high polish of these cups. But it would be a very, very um, time a consuming process. Were these artisans, uh, were they generally wealthy? Were they middle class? Were they lower class? What kind of social status was it attached uh, to those tasks? Uh, craftsmen started more and more since, let's perhaps the 13th, 14th century, um, were more confidently uh, starting to sign their works. Um, and so establishing uh, uh, reputation with with their names or the names um, marked just the workshop um, for which they in which they had the lead or they which they run. Um, so um, yeah, and craftsmen also. Uh, we know that the Qianlong Emperor, for example, had called craftsmen um, to the court to work in the imperial palace workshops in Beijing. And they were very often recruited from, from the area in the lower Yangtze Delta because the craftsmen there had a high reputation for their uh, high quality works. And uh, he uh, had conversations, direct conversations with, with them um, about certain techniques or they had to explain something um, to them. But of course, this would have been um, the level of very high end uh, craftsmanship. So there were certainly different levels of um, craftsmen uh, working um, in, in the workshops. I'm interested in that because for these two cups, I, I wonder how you would rate the quality of the craftsmanship and, and consequently the value or expense that they would have represented at the time. Well, the, the craftsmanship is superb. Um, I don't know whether maybe several people uh, would have been involved for different um, processes um, in the in the uh, production of this um, this object. Um, but definitely, we can say uh, they were of very high. Both of them are of high, equally high um, craftsmanship and quality. 
um, and the one in the Imperial from the Beijing Palace Museum um, was approved by the by the emperor, and we know he was very. Uh, he uh, demanded a very high high standard. So we've been talking about these two different cups, one of which is in Beijing, one of which is in Cleveland. Well, they're both now in Cleveland for the time being for the exhibition. But I'm interested in the relationship between the two of them, which visually are almost identical, but one of them became an imperial object and the other one didn't. Um, j just how similar are they to each other? That's, uh, yeah, again, a, a, a good question. Um, you will see once, because they are now juxtaposed really to each other, we can see one is, the imperial one is has a purer white uh, color um, and is bigger. It is also uh, inscribed with um, a seal mark or a mark saying um, copied after antiquity, um, whereas the Cleveland cup is not inscribed at all. It is smaller and it has some impurities in the some kind of veins that run through the material and um, are perceived can be could be perceived as impurities in the in the material. So the smaller the the cleveland one was probably um since it's not inscribed has no imperial seal um it was probably uh left on the for the for the common market whereas the imperial one was obviously sent to beijing from uh from the Beij from the suzhou workshops to beijing approved by the emperor then inscribed um and then entered the imperial collection can you tell me a little more about this inscription on the uh, imperial cup? You say that it um, specifies that this piece was made after an older model. Do you know what that older model would have been? Well, uh, it says after antiquity, Fangu is is the the two characters. So um, it may not even be a model. It may be that the um, the motifs, certain motifs um, of the figures um, were modeled after antiquity. So could be associated with with um, an earlier um, an earlier model, but it's not it does not necessarily mean that exactly this cup existed um, earlier in earlier in time and was was copied. Certain features of this this cup, may have been um uh ref may reference um the the earlier earlier times antiquity so the Taoist figures themselves might have been modeled off of Taoist figures on earlier pieces but um that doesn't necessarily mean that the overall form of the cup is a, a direct uh, or directly associated with a piece from antiquity Right, and the Taoist figure figures themselves. Maybe their their hairstyles, their clothing, or um, the idea of the the Taoist immortal itself refers to antiquity. Are you aware of any pieces from antiquity with similar types of figures or elements of figures? Yeah, that's um, a common phenomenon uh, during the Qianlong time. This emperor has uh, produced under the Qianlong emperor a number of um, objects. Uh, bearing the two characters Fang Gu um, in uh, imitating uh, antiquity uh, were were produced during during this time, and not only in the material of jade. What can you tell me about the provenance 
of these two pieces and how one of them ended up in Beijing while the other one is in Ohio? Well, the first part of the story probably uh, I have uh, told you is, is that they were both probably, um, we believe, produced in the Suzhou area in workshops there, uh, based on the high workmanship, on the high quality of the workmanship, um, and the reputation that the Suzhou craftsmen had at the time in, in Suzhou. Um, one was of a lesser quality, clearly the Cleveland one, um, and was produced for the common market, whereas the one with the pristine quality of pristine quality, um, uh, ended up in the imperial collection. Um, in it, the Cleveland one may have been handed down generation by generation as a luxury uh, heirloom or luxury um, uh, object. Um, and then, in the big at the beginning of the twentieth century, China opened. There were many foreigners in the country. Um, some of them um, bought works of art on the market. This may have been av available beginning of the 20th century. Um, in any case, we do not know exactly how, but it um, ended up in the West um, before 1952. So before the country was before China um, closed um, the the market in the in 1949. So it must have left the country before this ended up in a. Ohio um, family, um, which uh, then gave it an anonymous, made it an anonymous gift to the Cleveland Museum in the 1950s. So how do these cups fit into the larger narrative being told by this exhibition and the other 200 works included in it? Well, the exhibition is about, about the culture and um, the artistic production of the um, Lower Yangtze Delta, uh, which was uh, in Chinese, throughout Chinese history, one of the most productive areas. And so, so much we associate with, with traditional China today uh, originated or flourished in this, in this region. And um, jade is, of course, also a material we associate closely with um, China. And during the 18th century, the jade production was um, the center, centers of pre, uh, jade production were uh, in the Suzhou area, which are part of the lower Yangtze Delta. And um, we believe that these both these cups were once produced in this in this area and um, in that um, and make a contribution to um, illustrating uh, the richness of culture and artistic production of the Lower Yangtze Delta in the exhibition. Well, Clarissa von Spee, this has been a pleasure. Thanks so much for speaking with me. Thank you so much for having me. Again, the exhibition is China's Southern Paradise at the Cleveland Museum of Art, open now until January. Today's episode was edited and produced by Sammy Delati with social media and web support by Sarah Bellotta. Sierra Holt is our digital media and editorial associate. Our music is by Trap Rabbit, and I'm Ben Miller. 